in honor of Father's Day, we march from Selma to Montgomery, go fishing in Oster Cove, and play some poker with coupons while watching The Young and the Restless. He is my 220 to his 221, whatever it takes. We are Two Real Reviewers, brought to you this week by Schooner Tuna, the tuna with a heart. Oh, great, great entry, great entry. How you doing today, Ron? Good morning. I'm great. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm it, it, not bad for 8.30 a.m. on a Friday. So I have to tell you what I did last night. Oh, let me hear it. We've done things for our children in our lives that you sit back and you go, why? You know, why did we help them out? Last night, I had to go help my 20-year-old daughter get into a nightclub. <laughs> oh, wow. So at 9.30 at night, she had, she's had her wallet stolen. So she was upset because it was the first time she's going to take her brother Ben with her and her, her friend, uh, her girlfriend, Christina Lorch, and a friend of ours from high school, Noelia. And she had lost her wallet or had it stolen about a week ago. So I called the club that Stampede in Temecula and uh, asked. Stampede in Temecula. Yes. If I brought her birth certificate with a letter in, he actually told me I had to come down. So I and I got in the car. We drove down there, showed her him her birth certificate and her photo ID that she had on her phone because she had downloaded it a long time ago, and he let her into the movie. Now, here's the funny thing, and I apologize if somebody hears this out. I believe, and I can't guarantee it because I I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but she's only 20, and he looked at it on her phone with me standing there, and he goes, oh, yeah, you're 21. Go on in. (laughs) So you could go in over 18 and over, but she went in with the tagline that she's 21, so she can go and buy drinks because they put a wristband on her. Now, I don't know if that happened. I walked away after that. So You did your part. You did my part, but how many fathers have walked their kids into a club so that, and then turn around and leave? Not go with them, but turn around and leave. <laughs> well, why didn't, why didn't she just do what I did when I was 20? What's that? Fake ID? I, no, I used my dad. <laughs> I used my dad's. Did you really? So my dad, my dad is 20 years older than I am, almost to the day. Oh, wow. And when I was 19, 20, I used his because he, I looked maybe a little older than he looked younger. And quite frankly, uh, <laughs> it would seem to me that your daughter would be able to use mom's ID. Correct. Although perhaps I'm giving really bad ideas and advice <laughs> at this point in time. And you already got one lecture from your wife about last week's podcast. You I wonder that. if... Angela's going to comment on me trying to get her daughter into the club. Well, I thought I thought I would bring that up because, it, you know, we are having a Father's Day, slight Father's Day theme here. So I wanted to say I was father of the year by walking my daughter. <laughs> so that well, was you're, my tie-in. You're up for it, I think. That was my tie-in right there. So um, what, what did you, uh, what did you think of these week's movies? I thought we um, had quite a wide array of movies that we're going to get into here shortly. Not only historical, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I wanted to accomplish with Selma. And then Amazon Prime uh, competing with Netflix and coming up with movies of their own, right? In, In Blow the Man Down. And then our loyal followers did us 
uh, a great service right uh, by allowing us to take a peek and and talk about mr mom which i think probably is going to capitalize on this this podcast right. I, i'm almost thinking okay slow down and take your time on the first two movies mm-hmm. um don't rush through it just so you can talk about you know mr mom <laughs> yeah i i spent a lot of time on um on this on soma which i want to uh, thank you that was a great movie to suggest um uh, blow the man down okay well you know uh good, good okay um <laughs> mr mom uh, i couldn't wait to watch it i was very excited so thank you to our fans for that absolutely uh let's go ahead and get started and we'll lead with with selma the 2014 film that was directed by ava duvernay mm-hmm. and written by paul webb uh, the movie features Carmen Ehogo as uh, Coretta Scott King, mm-hmm. Tom Wilkinson uh, yes. as Lyndon Baines Johnson, Oprah Winfrey had uh, a bit role in this as Anna, Annie, Annie Lee, Lee Cooper, Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim Roth as uh, George Wallace, and David Oyelo in the lead role as uh, Martin Luther King Jr. You know, three of the key roles in this movie, uh, Coretta Scott King, mm-hmm. LBJ and Martin Luther King Jr. All of those actors are British. British uh, isn't Tim Roth as well? Is he? I, I believe so. I believe so. I, I was <laughs> amazed that a movie about American history had three, at least three, British actors in the lead. Yes. Um, I had wanted to see this movie after seeing it on my channel lineup a couple of weeks ago. You know, on cable, mm-hmm. right when all these protests were underway in America after the, the George Floyd incident. Right. And I'm not sure if, if the networks were showing this movie just by coincidence or if this was by design. Um, but I wanted to watch it to see if, if they got history right, because we, we learned about Selma and mm-hmm. the March um, uh, to Montgomery um, back in high school and college, obviously. This was a real life event from 1965. It recounts those actual events when when blacks had the right to vote on paper, but faced numerous challenges towards them, especially in the Deep South in right. in Alabama. It covers not only the civil rights movement, but it really goes into the relationships between Dr. King and his wife, mm-hmm. um, his relationship with Lyndon Johnson, and the struggles of a lot of individuals that were either trying to obtain their own right to vote or the others that supported them in doing so. I mean, we all know the story about Martin Luther King Jr. and and what a force he was in the civil rights, human rights movement Mm -hmm. back in the 60s. But how many of us were familiar with the story about Annie Lee Cooper? I I wasn't until I watched this this movie. Um, I had a a tough time um, going back and forth between whether or not this was a movie or a documentary. And I came to the conclusion that it really is a film. Right. Uh, it, it, it was it was not a recap of actual <laughs> events, which which a documentary can be. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some subjective question marks about the portrayal of of Lyndon Johnson, right? Uh, based on what we read in, in history and the way that certain Jewish leaders who were involved with this effort um, weren't showcased properly um, or appropriately. Uh, I thought the movie was very entertaining. It had a lot of depth. Um, it made me very, very sad that, right. that there was a time 
really not that long ago in, in American history that these sorts of things were actually occurring in the United States. And, and I don't mean to diminish the, the, the current uh, uproar uh, about the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, but people not having the right to vote, any people not having the right to vote legally in this country, and for it to be a struggle 60 years ago, not even 60 years ago, mm-hmm. um, really made me sad. I thought, the, I thought the acting was superior, especially when you look at it through the relationships that they put on screen, um, captured a lot of emotions um, with really great location footage. And I liked the score as well. I thought the music had a right. real great undertone into various scenes uh, throughout the movie. I very much enjoyed this movie, not only from a film's perspective, but as a look at American history. You know, I've complained in the past that movies have been too long and they need to cut stuff out um, on numerous occasions. On this movie, it needed to be longer. It needed to dive a little bit further in to some of these situations, these actors, these roles. Um, Again, talking about Annie Lee Cooper, and I'm not a big Oprah Winfrey fan. I I mean, she's an excellent woman. And as an actress, I've never been a fan. Um, But she, uh, in this this movie alone, Open Winfrey was masterful. I mean, she set the tone for the movie in the beginning when she was trying to register uh, to vote. And basically, she did not have a lot of lines, but she was in the movie a lot, meaning just by her stance, her, her protesting, her marching. They showed her a lot in the movie. And her portrayal of Annie Lee Cooper was mesmerizing. If you could see it in her face, you can see the anguish. And you brought that up earlier. When you said, you know, you can, you can, there was a lot of feeling in all the actors and all the stuff that they went through during that time period, whether it was LBJ, whether it was, whether it was, uh, uh, Oprah Winfrey with playing Annie Lee Cooper, whether it was Dr. King, you know, there was a lot of these, um, these stories in, in here, these individuals, and then you, you're, you know, the, the individuals who were beaten and the, the elderly and the ones that were tracked down and, and killed, you know, before and after the march. It was just a mesmerizing and, and heart-wrenching movie to watch, and I, I watched it uh, as soon as I was able to. As you know, I was up in the mountains and uh, watched it in the afternoon with nobody around me so that I can really focus in on the movie. Um, and I thought, uh, Ava, uh, DuVarney, DuVarney, I don't, uh, she was the director. She did an excellent job in directing this movie. You can feel the pain and anguish in, in everyone. Um, and at times you felt the joy and the happiness, you know, when they were, we were sitting at the dinner table with Martin Luther King and, and, uh, Common who played Bevel, uh, was in there and, and some of the other actors that were around the table and they were, you know, basically having this big this big dinner and that you can, they're happy and they're making jokes and they're doing stuff and you felt it, you felt that. And then when they found out that Harry Belafonte and some of them were, some of these celebrities were going to be walking and protesting with them. Uh, they started singing, uh, when they were, you know, preparing the, the packs to carry during that time period, you, you know, you, you can, you wanted to sing along with them. Hey, you know you wanted to do all that um i've never really been into a movie where i okay okay, wait a minute we need to go a little bit further we need you need to expand that so um i thought that uh there was some real smaller roles in here that played well um giovanni uh, 
Ribisi, thank you, yeah. uh, who played Lee White, who was basically OBJ's right-hand man in a sense. Um, you could feel his struggles of trying to help Tom Wilkinson through that role, um, through LBJ's struggles of, of what he wanted. Because it looked to me like in this movie, he, LBJ wanted to do this, but at the same time, he was – I don't want to say he had other things in front of him. I think he used those as excuses. Um, but he was looking further down the line of being reelected and got finally to a point where enough's enough of what he saw on TV during the, the one scene, uh, Bloody Sunday is what they called it. And uh, so that's when, you know, it just said enough's enough. And one of the statements that he said in the movie is it's it, we're not talking about ni- we, 1965 when he's talking with George Wallace, played by Tim Roth. He says, we need to be thinking about what it's going to be like in 1985. And I thought that was what I feel majority of our politicians need to understand and look at is what it's going to be like. 20 years from now, not today, not tomorrow, but what it's going to be like 20 years from now. And I think our politicians nowadays, and I know we don't get into politics, need to go back and have that same mentality. Um, a little bit, of, uh, a couple things in here. I thought Tim Wall, uh, Tim Roth, who played George Wallace, his voice and mannerisms, I thought he played it to perfection, uh, his accent, and uh, being the fact that he is, um, uh, I thought he was written, I'd have to look it up again. Um, but uh, you know, one of the things I read about him is he grew up during the civil rights, Tim Roth did. And he said he remembers George Wallace and thought of him as a monster and was amazed at what would always come out of his mouth. And so I thought that that had to be hard for Tim Roth. I mean, you're talking about a guy that he's portraying in a film that he actually did not, that he hated growing up, you know, so, and then you got to go and portray him. So it's, I wonder what went through Tim's mind to say, I want to play this role. So, um, the other thing is the film cast includes two Oscar winners, uh, Common, who played Bevel, and uh, Kubi Goody Jr., who was in there as well. Um, he had a small role. And then um, a couple more things uh, to, on the connected dots is Malcolm X, played by Nigel Thatch. He, I, when I turned real quick and said something to, I think it was my son who had walked by, and I went back to the movie real quick, uh, Nigel Thatch was on TV at the time playing the scene with Malcolm X. I think he only had one scene. He actually parlayed that into playing the same character, Malcolm X and Godfather of Harlem. And, uh, which is a uh, epic TV show, which is an excellent TV show. If anybody wants to to go out and watch it, but he parlayed that into it and he plays an excellent Malcolm X. I mean, you see him in this, you only get a, you only get a taste of him here, but you get a, 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 a wider stance of his acting betrayal in, uh, in Godfather of Harlem. So, so there's some, there's some great things in this movie. And it, like I said, it was very heart wrenching. And I sat down after the movie and got on my phone and read about the March, read about what happened to uh, some individuals after the March that were murdered. Um, it, it's just, it was very disheartening, but at the same time, you know, uh, they went through this for progress and it, exactly what happened progress is what happened I, I think the fact that numerous networks were showing this movie at the time of of the protests over the floyd incident wasn't a coincidence i i think this was by design and and just like many companies have come out and and told their their customers that they're very concerned about them for during the covid19 uh, mm. crisis i i think television and and movie networks put this movie out to remind us that 
you know, protests, uh, peaceful or otherwise, uh, are, are sometimes unnecessary. Uh, and when you have so many pockets uh, of, of protests and um, demonstrations that are occurring, as parents, as fathers, you and I probably think, man, I, I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to see my kids in harm's way at all. But if they had a point that they were trying to accentuate, then that would be okay. And the whole premise of the movie was to prove a principle. And you right. can tell that, that MLK, especially in this movie, you can tell that he's a flawed but very principled man. And, and, and he's, he's portrayed just the way that the history books have portrayed him. And I believe that this was as close to a real life story about who Martin Luther King was scars and all, you know, right. he, 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 you know, there's one scene where he has a particularly troubling conversation with his wife. Yes. Um, that shows that, Hey, we're all sinners. Um, we all have, we all have flaws. We're not perfect. Um, but I, I think the wide array of casting him in this light of being so pro civil rights and pro principled yet at home, he's a dad and a husband and he's got trials and tribulations at home. Like the rest of us, I thought were put, it was put together very, very well. This, this movie played two ways. It, it, it talked a lot about their, um, their, the, you know, the civil rights movement, but back in 2014 and when the, the Oscars came out, this actually was also a, a little bit of, this is when we saw the, the movement of racial diversity in Hollywood, because this movie alone, like the director and the lead actor, they had some admissions from the, from the Academy Award nominations. Yes. David, David and Ava did not get, and it's, it sparked an outcry from moviegoers, from Hollywood insiders. Their admissions has been credited to a lack of that racial diversity in Hollywood. And, and it, it, it only received, I think it had like two, two nominations and one of them was for Beck's picture, but the but the the director and uh, the lead actor David didn't get uh, anything except for one Golden Globe nomination, and and so it to me I thought well you know you talk about that and now now in two thousand you still see it a little bit but you don't hear about that as much in the Oscars as being the white Oscars anymore because you're starting to see the you know the acceptance of it. it it's unfortunate that it took us in two thousand and fourteen to get to that but. Um, I thought that, you know, wow, this movie is, is done it not once, but twice. It told the story of Selma and then it's doing what it needed to do uh, with the Academy Awards and, and uh, the actor skills. So. I gave this movie four red vines. Uh, I thought it was solid on, on, on acting, on portrayal of history, a message, uh, making me think just mm -hmm. across the board. Uh, the, the only reason it, it doesn't eclipse, uh, to, to the five red vines. And I don't think I've given a, a five red vines out yet uh, during our, 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 our podcast history is I, I was not a big fan of the way that Lyndon Johnson was portrayed. Um, he, he came across in a lot of ways as, as, pandering to MLK mm -hmm. and most historians and certainly what I've read 
um, especially about LBJ, is that LBJ was a force to be reckoned with. And I think you made a very good point, Monty, in that he did have a, a, a domestic agenda that he was trying to push that made civil rights secondary in, right. in, in that effort. It wasn't at the top of LBJ's to-do list, but as respectful as the two were with one another, LBJ came across to me and it wasn't the acting. It was just the way that, that, that they portrayed him right. was a bit of a, uh, a, a almost a, a weak, uh, submissive, uh, responsive type president. And mm -hmm. in, in any other dealings with any, anyone else, LBJ was the a personality. Um, that, that was, that was one thing that asterisked, uh, my rating on this, but aside from that, I thought the movie was a fantastic, uh, work of art for sure. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to echo your, your sentiments. Um, I also, there's a lot of other things. Like I said, if the movie went a little bit longer for me, um, I do like, what they did at the end of the movie when they told the story of what happened with each individual, whether it was the sheriff who never got hired again or voted again. Um, that was awesome. Um, you know, the, the very racist sheriff. Yeah. Uh, so I loved how that, and that's when I started reading more into Selma. Uh, when, when I was reading those little things at the end, I decided, you know what, I need to, to dig deeper. I want to know what happened and so on and so forth. Um, this movie, I, w I was close to giving it my, my five popcorns. I was very close to it. I just thought that if they expanded a little bit more, I want to say this. I did not know about MLK's uh, supposed affairs. Um, and I think how they touched on it in that brief moment, that brief conversation he had with his wife and she questioned and the word no, when he, she asked, did you love them? And he's paused for a really long time and he said no. And then they left it at that. That was the end of that about MLK. It, it, there are other directors, if this was done wrong, could have expanded on that and made MLK be about him and his personal life. And that's not what he was about. He was about giving for human rights. Um, and I love the fact at the end of the movie, they showed that all nationalities, all uh, uh, color, um, race, uh, sex had come down and marched. And the, 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 also the struggles of some of these people, that were sitting at home watching Bloody Sunday on television. It was really heart-wrenching. Um, great movie. Uh, I'm going to go with four, um, four popcorns. Uh, perfectly made. Um, the big, big popcorn jugs you get that you get the refills <laughs> at the movie theaters. Um, that's what I'm going with on this one. Um, so excellent movie. Uh, I would watch it again just to make sure I didn't miss anything, but I, I would too. A great, great movie. Great suggestion. And, Unfortunately, when we make these suggestions, Rod, we, we have great ones and then we have bad ones. And uh, I don't say <laughs> speaking of bad ones, um, I will lead us into this because it is this week's Mickey Award. <laughs> so you can tell your buddy Mickey, this is uh, this movie Blow the Man Down is an Amazon original. And if I ever see anybody that's part of Amazon, I will punch him dead in the face for making me watch this film. Um, the thing I didn't understand is Amazon original and IMDb sell this as a comedy drama 
mystery. There was not one ounce of comedy in it. The only time I laughed was out of pure frustration when you're just absolutely so tired and overwhelmed. You just giggle. When like, you're, shrugging, is, yes. you're shrugging your shoulders going, <laughs> why am I watching this? Well, it, it, the, the story is a, a storyline is about two young ladies that live in this fishing town and their sisters, their mom dies. One comes back from college. I didn't understand how she, not Priscilla Connolly, but the other Connolly could be a girl coming back from college when she was like an over the top drunk and, and drug addict. I didn't understand that part. So she comes back into town and she's just, you know, to be there for mom's funeral. But, uh, so anyways, um, the other reason why I laughed and I'll get into my, my situation here um, is the singing fisherman, because I thought to myself, Rod's got, I got to leave him 20 minutes to talk about the soundtrack. Yep. I'll so, get to it. Trust me. So um, anyways, back to recap for the movie. Um, there are two sisters uh, that they're two. Um, they basically have come back together uh, in the death of their mom and they're at the funeral. Uh, one has stayed home to help mom and, and live in town while the other one went off to college um, only to find out that there's some things going on in this town that aren't right um, run by a, uh, an, uh, a, um, a need and a need Nora Devlin played by Margot Martindale. Um, she, uh, she had a, she played a great role and she basically was running a whorehouse uh, in this small town. And, um, there were people that did not like that, um, only to find out later on that they could or were a part of it in a sense. Um, I thought that, uh, the one sister who goes out to, to the bars and, uh, is picks up a guy only to find out he's, uh, basically going to either take her to, you know, rape her or take her to, to kill her. Um, she, escapes hides from him from a little bit and then ends up killing him um and then her sister uh comes to her aid in a sense to help cover up this murder slash manslaughter however you want to look at it um for me we'll, we'll start off in the beginning it should never have been listed as a comedy because there wasn't anything in there um they're singing fishmen when it opened up and they were in the beginning i thought oh that's neat way to open a film you know these guys singing that song and they were very good um but to have them multiple times during the movie saying it didn't fit well um i didn't feel that the storyline was overly clear even when they tried to wrap it up at the end um only parts that i felt played well was by sophia lowe who played uh priscilla conley um you truly felt sorry for her she stayed at home take care of mom and the business um, even though they were about to lose the house and all that, she had put a plan together to, to survive. Um, she had put her feelings and personal happiness aside during that time period. And then when mom passes, it looks like she has a little bit of a shot to get out of that and get into some happiness because there's an opportunity there with officer Justin Brennan, who's played by Will, uh, Britton. Uh, but, uh, she ends up having help cover up this murder slash manslaughter with her sister and it just looks as if he decides he does not pursue her anymore um, as he sort of realizes she's involved. So he felt bad because she had an opportunity to be happy with a person, um, this, this new officer, um, and have a life with him. And then it's taken away because he, you know, he states it. I'm not interested in that anymore because he caught on to the fact that it looks like they're involved. So I thought that 
Sophia Lowe played very well in this movie. And I do believe that uh, Margot Martindale, who played Eden, um, she had that don't fuck with me mentality while acting as if she really cared about you. So um, those th- th- that there was really all I have to say about this film. <laughs> well, I, I've, there were a couple of, couple of thoughts that I had about the title of the movie. Okay. You know, there, there were a couple of better, and I want to try them out on you. All right. Okay. Instead of blow the man down, how about keep the man awake? Yeah, very good. Okay. That would All be right. one. Yeah. Or my, my, my other choice um, would be the Golden Girls meet Mrs. Paul and her fish sticks. <laughs> All right. I like the Golden Girls though. I, well, there, there is, there's this, the, the three biddies that are are on a mission to you know, rid the little town of Easter Cove, Maine, mm-hmm. um, of, of the brothel, um, I, I, I thought was, was one angle. Um, I- anything that Amazon originals comes up with, I'm going to give it a shot because there's so much innovation that's being put into some of these movies that are being made, um, by third parties anymore. Um, generally speaking, I've enjoyed most of them. Um, and, and the fact that Margot Martindale was in this movie mm-hmm. also got my attention as well. So I thought, right. okay, well, you know, hers was really the only role that, that, that I found entertaining and, and had, and had any depth to it. Right. Um, the, the plot lines, the various plot lines, I, I, I didn't get the, the fact that there was a murder at the very beginning was a bit of a stretch. It, it, she was the obviously there was an uncomfortable situation after being picked up in the bar, right. but all of a sudden, but all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're chopping the guy into bite-sized bits and, you know, sticking him into a cooler. I, I thought that was a bit of a stretch. Right. And then there, there's, there's a brothel in this little fishing town. Yeah. And, and everybody just kind of turns a blind eye to it. It, 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 you see these girls walking up and down the street in their short skirts and their big hoop earrings. And it's, it's, and, and the cops are essentially, uh, okay with it. Ignore it as well. <laughs> I mean, even, even officer Coletti, the, the, the officer that was played by Skip Seduth, he was clueless. And the way to the way that, that the cops were portrayed in this movie, in my opinion, was a complete ripoff of Fargo. You know what? I thought the same thing. This, the you know, exactly. hey, what you got in the bag there? Some Arby's. <laughs> it, it was that sort of inept, out of touch, and and I didn't even get the impression that they were turning a blind eye to it. I just thought that that, that they were that they were clueless. Well. Um, was it that well the member of the older guy um not officer uh, yeah officer Coletti, which was played by um uh, skip seduth remember when they went into the whorehouse she said oh is it that time again so yeah i think he knew uh, i mean uh, he he didn't turn a blind eye to it and then he's like oh he's you know and he looked at it Officer Brennan, he says, oh, they say that to everyone, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, like, okay, you just got caught, pal. So I don't think it was he turned his blind eye to that. I don't mean to disagree with you on that one, but I do believe that it was just, it was more of an acceptance in the fact that this is how money's being made here and everybody's happy. No one's, but then murder started happening 
and that's where it kind of turned around. And you're right. In the beginning, when you saw the, the what was the scene with the car and the guy and they're arguing and she runs away on the snow and he's chasing her. Was that a murder scene? Was that the original murder scene we didn't know about where the one girl who was trying to to steal from Margot or Eden and ended up getting killed? I mean, right. it was so, it, it was, if it was a close up scene in that, I could have said, OK, now I understand. But there was but just not enough to put it all together. And you don't know. Yeah. And there were there were a number of different scenes and angles that I don't think they they the the, the whys were never developed. Why was Gorski such a bad dude? And, and am I wrong when I'm saying Officer Cletty was that was Declan um, with Declan Crawley was the other officer, wasn't it? Correct. Okay, yes. so I I apologize for that. I said right. Letty and I meant I meant Crawley. And the reason why I remember that I was wrong on that is the 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 uh, one of the statements he said is from a or quotes he said is from a great movie, Shawshank Redemption. And that was Declan's line when he said he went and vanished like a fart in the wind. <laughs> it is exactly the same as what remember the the warden norton described annie dufane as his escape from shawshank redemption and i read that oh, right. and i remember that it put i i heard the line before and i'm like because i get that's probably the one comedy part i thought it was in there and i laughed a little bit but i thought i've heard that before and i actually went to research it and it ended up being in the trivia section on imdb oh no kidding yeah I wanted to know why there was so much money in a white sack that was just kind of randomly placed for almost anyone to find it. Correct. That was his payoff for the, the murder of, I don't know. But like I said, the yeah. most important question, the most important why question of this movie is why were there so much singing by these fishermen? <laughs> I mean, I, at one point I honestly believe that, that, I had not ordered this movie on Amazon Prime and I was watching Network and they had broken they had broken away to a, a commercial and it was a commercial for the Gortons of Gloucester <laughs> Fish Company. I, was, I knew you were going to say that. The best fish sticks in the house, man. We grew up on those things, didn't you? I, well, we, we did, but it, that and Vandy Camps and... I'm surprised that there wasn't a banner for Vandy camps floating around here. I, I just, I had trouble with this movie all the way around yes. and it really started. It really started with it. I, I thought that I had the very same sentiment that you did about the opening scene with the guys on the docks, you know, singing. I thought, okay, that's an interesting, but it could have ended there. This right. sort of intermittent, you're getting into a scene and all of a sudden they cut to the guys singing again. Um, <laughs> and they never do sing. Yo ho, blow the man down. I thought they did, didn't they? No, I don't, I don't believe oh. so. I don't think that was one that was there. All right. Uh, uh, this one got two black red vines. For oh, me. he's mixing it up. Yeah, I took that suggestion to heart, uh, and and it got two black red vines. Uh, only for Margot Martindale, because I like just about anything that she's in, and the fact that Amazon made an attempt to put a movie on screen that a lot of us would enjoy, but that's about it. There's nothing comedic about this movie. I'll, I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> Can you hear it? I stand corrected. <laughs> well, I was going to actually use this. 
earlier today in the, or earlier in the podcast to um, open up the scene for this movie. That should have been our lead. <laughs> I so, stand corrected and apologize to Amazon. <laughs> well, don't apologize to Amazon. Amazon needs to apologize for us for even putting this out there. Good point. Um, you know, again, I'm going to like it's the Mickey award. Uh, Mickey gets this uh, for us and, and we all know Mickey. So um, I, I can never make fun of Mickey again because I'm the one that suggested this film. Um, but it is absolutely <laughs> I think you owe him 10 bucks now. Uh, right. Right. This <laughs> yeah. is actually two burnt popcorns right here. Uh, the only good thing about this movie is that it, you, you brought it up when you said, owe him $10 is because, I have Amazon Prime and I didn't have to pay for it. So, um, but it, it's just a horrible film. Uh, the only the only good parts played in the movie was by Sophia Lowe and, and Margot and and uh, truly in, enjoyed their roles, but I could not. And that's the reason why they got two popcorns at, at all. Uh, Sophia got the first one and, and Margot got the second one. But uh, sorry, I'm sorry to all of our listeners. I'm sorry for the, and, and if Jeff Bezos, if I see you, um, definitely gonna have to punch you right in the dead in the face <laughs> you know this well, is gonna go out and the police are gonna come to me and say i threatened jeff bezos of amazon <laughs> fortunately we don't have to end the podcast on that note and thank we're, god we're we're gonna end up being able to wrap up today courtesy of our our loyal followers uh, <laughs> who voted who voted in uh dare i say a classic movie uh uh, that both of us have seen, uh, both of us have probably, we probably relate to uh, this m more than we might care to admit. Uh, and that is the 1983, let's call it the movie of the week, Mr. Mm. Mom, written by the late, great John Hughes mm. and produced by Aaron Spelling. Oh, good old Spelling. I didn't yeah. realize that. I didn't realize that either until his name was kind of in lights at the very, very beginning of the movie. 1983. Can you believe it's been that long? It's it. it there are some interest. It, there's some interesting timelines that 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 I want to talk about because I, I, I there's some amazing things about when this movie came out as it's related to other to other movies in the right. same decade. Um, but this movie. Uh, has uh, some real 80s talent. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to put it. <laughs> you know, Martin Mull, you Martin. know, as, as, as Ron Richardson. And what did he, uh, what did Martin Mull do after this, after this film? I don't really, I can't remember. I know who he is as an actor because uh, he was very popular in the 80s. But oh, I sure. Mean, and he, in the 70s, he and, and the late, great Fred Willard um, did a show, a spoof show called America Tonight, which rolled into Fernwood Tonight at, at one point. And in current day, I think Martin Mull's claim to fame was he had a bit role in, in Roseanne, the television show Roseanne, mm -hmm. um, at one point in time. But in, in this role as R Ron Richardson, uh, pretty, pretty classy 80s type, oh, you, yeah. know, you know, uh, womanizer. Um, Jeffrey Tambor, who I don't recall ever seeing in anything beforehand, uh, but we certainly know who Frank, uh, who Jeffrey Tambor is now. Um, Christopher Lloyd is, is, 
is Josh in the Brown. And I completely <laughs> forgotten that because you just can't picture Ignatowski wearing a suit and tie yeah, right. working, working for an automobile company, right? <laughs> um, Terry Gar. Oh, that Terry Gar. Wow. She was, she was awesome in the 80s. She was, oh. And, and of course, Michael Keaton. You know, one of the things that just amazed me in looking when this movie was made, this movie was made only six years before Michael Keaton starred as Batman. Oh, really? And it, it ju to me, it just seems like it was a lifetime after Mr. Mom, right? That he was in that role. And this movie, Mr. Mom came out even before Beetlejuice. And in fact, Beetlejuice was merely one year. It was an 88 movie. Batman came out in 89. Mm -hmm. And it just amazes me because I thought Beetlejuice was kind of Michael Keaton's first big role that we saw him in, but, but not the case at all. So you do know that Michael Keaton got this role because of Night Shift. Oh, yes. Yes, Bill, Bill Blazejazowski. <laughs> Um, I thought for, in in nineteen from eighty two when Night Shift came out and it, came, it went up to eighty six before he got into uh, Beetlejuice and I think it was eighty Beetlejuice came out in eighty eight and then he had yeah. Clean and Sober and Batman. Yeah. Um, he had Johnny Dangerously, which I loved. Um, Gung Ho, he played Hunt Stevenson. I actually put Gung Ho and Mr. Mom in the same category type movies. I, I really like both of their movies, uh, both of those movies, and and Michael Keaton you know, was for a while there was one of my, one of my favorite actors and he still is. I still enjoy watching him. I still really do. Well, he, he hit a point in time where he, um, he was on Island of the Lost Stars in, in, I mean, it seems to me that in the, in the nineties, virtually in the nineties with the exception of a couple of real clunker movies, Michael Keaton was, was a cast off. And then he began this kind of um, career resurrection um, that, I mean, there are a whole bunch of, of movies that he's, he's been in that have really kind of complemented his career. Mm -hmm. And he's been taken much more seriously as, as, as a credible actor instead of these kind of goofy, um, jocular type roles. Um, as an aside, if you've never seen him play uh, Ray Kroc in the founder. founder. Um, that's a, that's a pre, that's a pretty good movie. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mr. Mom is the type of movie that guys, dads like you and I and, and others that I'm sure listen to us right. um, can relate to because they've been through a scenario similar to what Jack Buckler went through. You well, know, some, it, some it, of them are going through it right now. Yeah, some, of, some of them are going through it right now and maybe not for as long, but it it made me it made me appreciate uh, my better half and mm -hmm. her contributions to our household and our child rearing uh, because there is something to be said about moms being able to do it a different way than dads do right um, it is it, it, you know especially when it comes to I don't know cooking and cleaning because Jack has a you know, run in with the vacuum cleaner or run in with the washing <laughs> machine and uses his, his ironing board to make grilled cheese sandwiches. His daughter gets a can of chili. Yeah. <laughs> um, as many times as I've seen this movie, 
I remember that there was, you know, a reference to Rocky, right? Yes. The movie Rocky. But now there were, but then there ended up being three. Really? Yeah. There are three references to Rocky. Obviously the, 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 the Rocky theme song Correct. is playing. Um, but then Jack is trying to convey this story to his buddies about watching Rocky. And the guys say, oh, well, that's which, right. well, which movie did you watch? Which, you was, it, was, was, was Clubber Lang in it? Was Mr. T in it? Oh, no, not that one. How about the Russian? Was the Russian in it? You know, and, they, and the, he ends up abandoning, you know, uh, trying to tell the story. But right. then the third very subtle reference to Rocky is he's in the boy's bedroom, and he's talking to Kenny about giving up his whoopee. Oh, yeah. And there's a Rocky movie poster on the wall. Oh, I didn't see it. I didn't yeah. see it. Oh, I'll have to go back because I, I love that scene when he talks to him about his whoopee. He's like, first, you know, they're great. They're, they're the greatest thing. Next thing you know, you're hooked up on bedspreads, a comforter, maybe a quilt. <laughs> there, uh, there are too many good lines in this movie. Oh. There are just too many lines that, that can be recited and they 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 get a chuckle out of me every time that I see him. If I'm not reciting them myself, um, you know, Irv, I was never in aisle seven. Irv, um, clean up. Could we could we run through the hams again uh, when he's trying to order at the deli? Um, most of them are by Jack Butler. You know, the, yeah. the the character played by Michael Keaton. There's just too much going on in this movie with some very very good acting, and it was. It was a storyline that in the early 80s was absolutely true. The automobile industry in the early 80s was mm. really in a funk. Especially, and yeah, Detroit. Detroit in, took it Especially hard. in Detroit, yeah. exactly. Um, so I, I thought making that relevant at the time, and to your point, it was it's kind of relevant today right. and what's going on with not necessarily the automobile industry, but other industries have really been rocked by this, this economic uh, situation that we right. have. But I'm just, I'm delighted that we were able to, to get this one uh, to take a look at. I'll be honest, even if it had not won the poll, uh, I would have watched it anyway because it was on my mind. And mm -hmm. then you got it, you got in my head last week because you had said that you watched this movie probably uh, you know, four times a year. Yep. Yep. And, and I, and I like this movie because it, it, it there were times that, uh, even I, I remember when Angela and I first got married and we had Alexis, uh, I was home when she worked, I was off, I was laid off at the time. So I remember trying to, you know, uh, feed a baby. And then if, you know, and then if I had Greg that week, cause it was a, you know, school break, um, you know, it, it was just, even when I had crystal, there was a lot of things that I did that didn't fit up to the level of what Angela wanted. <laughs> so hair, I was not very good at combing hair or, you know, I don't know if it was cause my lack of mine, but I remember going <laughs> through the stuff that Michael Keaton Butler, Jack Butler went through and Angela would come home and be like, what the hell? You know, and she's like, why is her ponytail on the side of her head? You know, it was just, <laughs> it was just, it was a lot. And I, and I love this movie. I love the fact that, that, and you, you cannot forget the best scene um, in there is when uh, Joan Hampton, who's played by Ann Gillian, 
takes them to takes Butler and the girls take him out to the old strip club <laughs> and, in her uh, red hot red mustache. Oh, that was I told you know Ben happened to watch the last half of this movie with me, and he just it was laughing the whole time. He he thought it was really funny, and I'm like, you miss half the best parts of these movies. Um, but it was like you know it, it's a great film to watch. It is about being a dad, a stay-at-home dad uh, during a tough time. And then we, we're talking about Father's Day um, here. So I, I'm so happy that I got to watch it again and, and talk a little bit about it. But I love the whole 220, 221. And then the Whatever scene, it takes. Well, in the end where – not the end, where, but where he's doing – he's dreaming that he got shot and he's laying there he's dead supposedly. And, uh, you know, uh, Ron Richardson comes over and goes, man, what would you do? What would you shoot him with? 38, 38, 39, whatever it takes. <laughs> and, it's, and he just rolls his eyes. But we've all been that. We've all tried to do things like that, you know, uh, to impress people around us. And I remember trying to impress Angela's bosses a few times, uh, you being one of them. <laughs> um, I remember, like, when, my, when Angela was doing very well in the hotel industry, and I'll tell this story real quick, is I tried to be the macho guy, like, you know, especially when remember when he went to the house, and they had the the race. Yeah, the relay race. Of oh, the relay race. Yeah. But when he's pulling up, and she's like, "Wow, look at this house!" And he's like, "Yeah, probably mortgage to the tilt," you know. <laughs> and he's like, "She's like, no, it was given down to him as great, great. Oh, a hand me down, you know." And <laughs> so you you start to think that because your wife's talking about how wonderful their bosses are, her bosses, and then you're sitting there trying to counterreact it. So one time we're at this, I don't know where we were at. It was a, it was a, a gala event and um, I had, he, her boss said, Hey, let's go get a drink. And we went up to a bar and he, Hey, do you drink scotch? Back then I didn't drink scotch. I didn't, I was still drinking like just Coors Light, you know, with the guys. And, you know, um, I hadn't gotten into hard liquor yet. And I said, Oh yeah, sure. And he ordered this one. And I tell you, he went through four and I was still sipping on one and I couldn't even look at him while I was drinking because it hurt so much to go down. And my wife's like, just stop. And I'm like, I can't, I don't want him to think I don't drink scotch. <laughs> and so anyways, um, some fun parts in this movie. Martin Mull actually went on and played in a few different, he did a lot of TV shows. Um, one of them most recently, which I thought was a very underrated show, is called Gary Unmarried. He played the father-in-law or ex-father-in-law. Um, I think Angeline didn't get a lot of, of love for this movie. I thought she played well. And and uh, when she had showed uh, Mr. Butler her two pair at the poker table, <laughs> did you did you leave some minutes in there for me for discuss her? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, no, I got a note from Ange saying, uh, no, let it happen. No Angeline talk. <laughs> no Angeline talk. Um, she's actually still, she's still alive if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. She was born in 1950. She's still alive. Um, but she was, uh, she played that eighties role. Perfect. And the funny thing is, is I said that to myself and then I caught myself. I go, man, the wardrobe, the hairstyle, all this stuff is perfect in the eighties. And then I'm like, Oh shit, this movie was made in 1983. <laughs> so yeah, it is going to be perfect. Um, you kind well, of no, nothing it. nothing screams 1983 like a blue country squire station wagon with wood paneling trying trying to north drop off south to pick up moron. <laughs> you're doing it wrong. Um, Michael Keaton, you're right. There was a time for him that he was dead in the water for a little bit. And I really believe that that kind of happened right after um, 
uh, Jack Frost, when he played Jack Frost. I think that movie bombed in 1998 because he did some decent things. He did, he did, he was in Jackie Brown. He was in Desperate Measures. He was in the paper. Um, you know, he did see, obviously, Batman, uh, Pacific Heights, which I think is a very underrated film. I um, agree with you. You know, I think people need to see that um, in One Good Cop. He was good in that as well. Um, you know, the, the one movie that was okay, uh, but I thought was pretty funny, um, was The Dream Team. And I made reference to it last week. So You did, yeah. Um, I remember you talking about that. Yeah, they played a bunch of guys that got lost out in the when they were out doing a, they're all from a mental institution. So, um, but anyways, and do you know who there's my connect the dots? Oh, all right. Bring it. Uh, two of the mental patients. And I apologize if I'm anybody, if I call them mental patients, but that's what they were listed as in the movie credits was Christopher Lloyd and Michael Keaton. Christopher Lloyd was the one that always played the doctor, but he wasn't really a doctor. He was the, uh, that's right. And so they they were together in 1989, six years later. So see how this all, see how this all kind of it, just in a very short period of time, you have all these movies that, that, that he's in. Yes. Yep. And I, and again, I think, I think too, like he, he did, I don't, I don't know why, I don't know what went on, but he did great in clean and sober. Um, but, uh, there was just that time where they did not, he didn't not, he didn't do anything very well. And then he came this great comeback and he was in Spider-Man. He played, you know, the one character and he also was in Birdman, uh, which he was up for Oscar. Did he win an Oscar? I can't remember. No, he um, did not. Okay, so there was some some shots back then, and that he's and he's got a few things on production that I can't wait for to come out. You know, once this all goes away. Yeah. Um, but anyways, for me, uh, movie itself, um, I'm I'm gonna have to go. And again, I'm I'm only marking it down because it's a comedy, uh, and you can't really. It it didn't. I'm just gonna say three and a half star or three and a half. Uh, perfectly made popcorns uh just enough butter just enough salt um for me that's that's where i'm at uh, for for uh mr mom i was so tempted to give this one you know four red vines mm -hmm. but that would be identical to what i just gave selma yeah <laughs> you, you just can't can't put those two movies you know anywhere close uh, to one another so right. this gets three fresh red vines it's another one of these typical 80s movies that, that we've been featuring on our podcast for the last few weeks. Showcases Michael Keaton's many, many talents. Um, he's, he's had some much more serious roles, certainly since this movie. But really, it all started in that very compact period of time uh, with this movie and others as well. But this one it holds up very, very well over yes. the years, and I never get tired of watching it for sure. One last question. Is Michael Keaton the best Batman? He's, he's my best Batman, and, and I'll, I'll try and explain this, and I'm not sure I'm able to articulate it very, very well because I like most of the Batman movies that have been done. Um, but the ones that have done, been done recently, particularly with Christian Bale, mm. who, who does a fantastic job, are the sort of dark, deep-seated, dreary-type movies. And the Michael Keaton version is, he's so well complemented by the Joker character, 
right. played by Jack Nicholson. The struggle between those two is so well done by those two actors. Right. That's why Michael Keaton's my favorite. He 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 was serious as Bruce Wayne. He was troubled as Bruce Wayne. Um, he had all the toys that Batman had, right. um, but you didn't have the sort of dark history and the 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 like I said the dreariness in in the other movies and he he gets he gets my vote for sure okay yeah i i agree I, I, it's the one i grew up on and it's not a tim burton one but again maybe we'll we'll make a batman week where we we do uh, batman movies <laughs> i would i would enjoy that absolutely yeah. any any superhero movie but that franchise in particular means an awful lot and you know the other thing about that franchise is that it was kind of the first uh putting the toe in the water as a reaction to that campy sixties television show right. that, that we watched. And in fact, that, that Michael Keaton version has a little bit of that in it, not too much, but just a little bit of it right. as well. So, so next week we have a clean slate and we are going back to uh, not only having movies that Monty and I pick ourselves, but we're going to do a little bit of a different thing yeah. with the uh, with the poll. We are going to on this poll. We're actually going to let you do mostly write-ins. So we're we want us to do a summer movie. We're going to put a link uh, to a list of the top thirty summer films. And uh, you guys can go through that link if you like. If you don't, uh, fill in what you feel is the best one. We are going to admit one of those movies um, that's listed on there, uh, and that is Grease. We will not be reviewing Grease no matter how many people write in on it. <laughs> so, well, give you that I, I know, quick heads up. <laughs> I, know so, I know someone that's going to flood Facebook with voting for Grease. Is that Stacy again? Yes. Okay, so she's not here to listen. Maybe I can edit this part out. <laughs> she won't hear me um but uh we ask that you fill in what you feel is the best summer film if you don't want to go off that list of 30 feel free to write in on our comment line on facebook at two real reviewers on our twitter account uh two real reviewers are at monty hurt on twitter and uh feel free to let us know what your summer film will be we're gonna we're doing this as a uh, as, as a throw in to the fact that summer begins on Saturday, June twentieth, the day before Father's Day, and if you look at this list, the link we're gonna post, there are some great movies in general. I'm not sure how some of them are related to summer, but okay, I'll go with the so-called experts. Um, so that'll be that'll be the viewer's choice or the listener's choice. Um, for movie number three, movie number one, I'm going to give a look at Spike Lee's latest joint, The Five Bloods, a Netflix original movie. We're going to yes. take a look at that one. What do you got for us, Monty? Uh, we're going to, I, I guess it's, I don't know if it's a biography, a biopic, or however you want to call it, but The uh, King of Staten Island, um, which is was pulled just recently from um, drive-in theaters, which I, I thought was kind of unique. I, I just heard the story on it. Uh, it is directed by uh, Jude Uptow, um, which we all know. And it is a story about the life of Pete Davidson, our funny uh, Saturday Night Live uh, 
cast member. So I'm looking forward to seeing it because he does have a pretty good story to tell. Um, a lot about his father, who was a, a firefighter, if I'm not mistaken, and, and passed on 9-11. So, um, so I want to—I really want to look into this. It is still available on uh, for rent on Amazon Prime, uh, but I guess they did pull it from the the theaters, and I think it's just because they want to relaunch it when everything starts to open up a little bit more. Speaking so. of things opening up, um, did you read that uh, Regal and Edwards Cinema Theater chain is slated to reopen for in-person movie viewing July 10th? Oh, all right, all right. So, so we'll, it uh, won't be it won't be too much longer that we're actually able to go into the theater and enjoy uh, something on the big screen with our red vines and our popcorn in person, which will be a great way to get out of the house. And and for me, I think um, we'll be able to do a lot more reviews of current films uh, as they come out. Um, and I think a lot more will be released during that time period because I know a few have been held back uh, because they didn't want to lose out on revenue. So um, we'll be able to get in there and give some reviews and let you guys know uh, what you should see and don't see. It's like we let you know today, don't see, blow the man down. <laughs> That's correct. Um, do see Selma. Uh, yes. Do go back and see Mr. Mom. So next week, uh, King of Stanton Island, The Five Bloods, yep. and To Be Determined. Make sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Look for our information there. Monty, in, in getting ready for Father's Day, I wish you a wonderful Father's Day, my friend. I hope your kids spoil you rotten. Same to you, my friend. I hope uh, I know that you got some crazy things happening next week with uh, with Stacy, and I wish her well and happy anniversary to you. Thank you. Uh, and wish her well on her knee surgery and, and happy Father's Day this week. Enjoy. Thanks. And uh, if you'll excuse me, I got to get to the grocery store. I got to pick up some feminine care products. <laughs> we are two real, two real reviewers. See you next week.